the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Music provided by the 48th Highlanders of Canada. Today's guest, Brigadier General Gary Stafford, OMMCD. And right from a very young age, I planned to make the military my career. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. And right off the bat, you must have noticed the changes to the intro. I'm trying to make it a little bit more interesting instead of just straight music. I'm trying to introduce the guests during the music and put in a bit of a teaser tag to let you know what to expect. When I initially started the podcast, I asked people to send me images that I could use on the website. And I did get some pictures from Sergeant Gary Phillips of York Regional Police. He sent me two pictures, one of the Vimy Memorial and one of Canada House on Juneau Beach. Now I'm going to have to find a way to try and incorporate it into the website. I tried to plug them in, but I was having a little bit of trouble, so I'm going to keep working at it. Thanks to Sergeant Gary Phillips of York Regional Police for providing me with those images. Moving on to some other feedback, I've got another review on iTunes. I got five out of five stars from Scoop Riches. That's entitled Great Slice of Canada. Scoop Riches says, You can learn many things about Canada, its role in the world, our history, and how the military works, all in this very interesting podcast. Well, thank you very much, Scoop Riches. I really appreciate the feedback, and I really appreciate the five stars. In another piece of feedback, I got a critical review by Lieutenant Colonel Mike Vernon. Mike Vernon was the first guest on the podcast, and he's also a journalism instructor at the Mount Royal University. So along with telling me that I'm doing a great job and that the podcast looks and sounds professional, he gave me a couple of critiques just to point me in the right direction, maybe steer the podcast into a new look a little bit of a new sound or some new ideas, that kind of thing. Some of the stuff I'll incorporate over time, and hopefully it ends up producing a better show for you, the good listener. Today's guest on the show is Brigadier General Gary Stafford, OMMCD. General Stafford joined as a private in the Royal Regiment of Canada in 1970. He then progressed to the rank of Chief Warrant Officer, and he held the appointment of Regimental Sergeant Major until 1987. In 1988, he commissioned to the rank of captain, and he was posted to the Toronto Militia District Headquarters in recruiting. So I guess that makes him responsible for hiring me. He returned to the Royal Regiment of Canada, and in 1992, he was promoted to the rank of major. In 1999, he was the commanding officer of the Royal Regiment of Canada, and he moved on to become the brigade commander of 32 Canadian Brigade Group, the organization that I belong to. After that, he was the Deputy Commander of Land Force Central Area, which we now know as the 4th Canadian Division. He's also served a tour in Afghanistan. His other career was with the Toronto Police Service, where he attained the rank of Staff Sergeant before his retirement. Now, I haven't had very many opportunities to work directly with Gary Stafford. However, I do remember specifically one encounter where a sergeant decided to challenge our brigade commander, and he put to him some pointy questions. So Colonel Stafford at the time listened patiently to each question, all the subjects that the sergeant had brought up, and then it was his turn to talk. So Colonel Stafford addressed the questions and basically said, Sergeant, what did you do to prevent this from happening? What did you do to correct it once you noticed it? What did you do to alert your chain of command that this was a problem? What have you done between the time that you first noticed that this was an issue to now that you're bringing it up in front of me? 
And I just realized that if you're going to be going toe-to-toe with Gary Stafford, you better have done your homework. You'd better not just be speaking off the cuff. It's always great to bring things up to the chain of command and the senior commanders, but do your research and do your homework first. I took a lesson from that, and I made sure that if I do have pointy questions to ask, especially of senior commanders, that at least I've done my homework. So here's my interview with Brigadier General Gary Stafford. Brigadier General Stafford, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Mike. Good morning to you, sir. Sir, you and I met when you were the commanding officer of the Royal Regiment of Canada, and as a warrant officer, I had the duty of coming to tell you that one of your soldiers had got himself into a bit of hot water. Uh, Yes, unfortunately, uh, but then you might want to say fortunately, the reserves really do reflect the community in which we serve in. And within that community, sometimes the majority are good apples, and once in a while you have a bad apple. But uh, over the years of my service at the different levels that I've commanded, there has always been issues. But I'm pleased to say that the majority of time, probably 99% of the time, our soldiers have always served as they should, as good representatives of their community. Well, sir, I know that there are many great people in the Royal Regiment of Canada, and I have always been very proud to serve shoulder-to-shoulder with them. I appreciate that. And I know both our regiments go back, the Toronto Scottish Regiment and the Royal Regiment of Canada. We've always served together in close proximity and in the field. Well, sir, if you're ready to do the interview, have you had a chance to look over the questions? I have. All right, then, sir, let's get started. Why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces? I think there'll probably be a a common theme or a pattern with youngsters of my age as to why they joined and possibly even in today's world. That had a lot to do with family. In my family, there was strong representation of military service in both World War I and World War II. My father served in World War II, and when he immigrated to Canada, he joined the reserves in the 60s. So as a result, although I wasn't the old saying, an army brat, I did have two families, one my own and uh, the second, the regimental family of the Royal Regiment of Canada. So growing up was filled with uh, many memories of regimental parades, social functions, social functions both at the armories and at my parents' home. As I grew older, as a young teenager, it it seemed to me that it was in my blood and it seemed that it would offer me the most sense of adventure in a career. And as I got older, then I realized that the more practical qualities of the military life came into focus, the structure, the opportunities, and the, the challenges that a military career would provide me. So... It was a natural progression, as I said, and right from a very young age, I planned to make the military my career. So when I turned 16, as a young teenager, I joined the Royal Regiment of Canada for a summer job. And then when I was around 18, I tried to join the regular army, which was, at that point, my dream. And ironically, I was turned down because I had had psoriasis as a child. It was one tick in the box, but that one tick changed my life. Now, in today's world, that no longer prevents individuals from joining the Army. They realized it was a minor skin irritation. But it certainly changed my life. And I ended up, when I turned 21, joining the Toronto Police Service. But by then, I had completed my jump course. I'd served in Germany with 3 Mech Commando, and I'd uh, been to the Resolute Bay. So the military was entrenched in my system. And I'd even had my, my son was born while I was up in the Arctic, uh, much to the chagrin of my wife, but I missed his birth just by one day due to bad weather. But I realized that an office job would never suit me. So not being able to join the regular army and needing a full-time job, as I was then a father, I approached the Toronto Police Service. And to my good fortune, looking back now, I've, I had two careers that spanned uh, over 30 years of service, and uh, I was very fortunate to have that. 
You know, sir, it is interesting to hear how many people have been influenced to join based on what they saw their parents doing, or their father especially. Sir, tell us what the world was like when you joined. Um, to be honest with you, in 1970 when I joined, my view of the world was probably consistent with that of most 16-year-olds, very limited and one centered on my family, friends, and school. I remember watching any news clip on regards to Vietnam and some of my buddies were all discussing the option of volunteering and heading down to the States to serve. When I look back now, I think it was so fortunate that none of us actually did that. And it was probably just the dreams of young individuals who, again, were looking for that in, at that adventure. But I do know that when we look at the world, the world of a serving reservist was very different then, as you probably realize. And when I compare the structure and the training and the capabilities of the reserves in the 1970s when I joined to the reservists of today, I, I'm very proud to say that there's no comparison. And if anyone's listening to this, uh, the Canadians who are, let me just put in an advert here that they should be very proud of the men and women who serve so selfishly for the reserves of today. Well, I have to agree, sir. Not only in terms of equipment and training, but in the caliber of the leaders that we have these days in the Army Reserve, it is leaps and bounds from even the time that I joined. Would you like to tell us what you were like when you joined? <laughs> I was a, a shy uh, teenager, probably uh, with very little understanding of life's challenges and what the real world was like. I, I had a beetle haircut, and uh, suffice to say that once I joined, even the reserves at the age of 16, the military quickly changed me, changed me most predominantly by providing me with leadership opportunities. I'd like to think back that it changed me for the better. Some might, might not agree with me. But I know that from what I was like when I joined in the 70s to the time I became a police officer, I know that that short period, of even in the reserve world, definitely better prepared me for life's challenges and a career in policing. Sir, can you shed some light on what your most memorable experience is or your greatest achievement? I feel very fortunate to have many memorable experiences. And it was a, this was a hard question to actually put my finger on one. I, I had a great time. I never regretted any of the decisions I made or the experiences that I was fortunate to have. But if I had to put my finger on one, I'd, I'd probably say it was my first tour in Afghanistan in 2006. And I served uh, with the American forces as a colonel. And my 10 months there, I ran the gauntlet of service from senior staff officers and a senior staff officer in Kabul to setting up and de developing my own command down in Kandahar province as uh, the regional police advisor for the southern provinces. My headquarters was located in a small Afghan National Police Training Center, and my responsibilities included mentoring and looking after the Afghan police general for the southern provinces, uh, developing police capabilities, which really was a direct link to my civilian career, and overseeing the uh, Afghan National Auxiliary Police Program, which is very the concept of auxiliary police in Toronto or other parts of the province. And uh, we started out as a small four-man unit with two borrowed Humvees. And by the end of my tour, we had over 100 strong and included Canadian military police, U.S. military personnel. And the majority of those working with me and for me were U.S. police officers who worked for DynCorp. So that tour, with all its parts and pieces, I have to say was my most memorable experience. I find it interesting to examine the levels of corruption in developing countries, especially in their police departments. I find that no matter how strong and noble an individual police officer wishes to be, they'll never be able to get there unless they're supported by strong leadership who also chooses to not be corrupt. 
I was briefed on the situation in Sierra Leone with their police forces, and there's just no hope for somebody who wants to work properly, correctly, morally, ethically, unless there's some serious guidance and serious influence at a higher level. And it, that, that's very true in Afghanistan. I know I've talked to, uh, to police officers, both young and old, who wanted to make a difference, who wanted to avoid corruption, but the reality was that it was all around them and uh, the pay scales and, and life in general. And as you stated, their, their senior officers, it was entrenched. And it will take many, many years uh, before uh, we start to see a change in Afghanistan. Sir, can you tell me who your greatest influence was or who the most memorable character that you've encountered is? I like to think that every person I meet uh, has a degree of influence on me. And uh, I've always tried to learn from others, whether they were my seniors or, or subordinates. They always had the better idea than I had. And the old saying of surround yourself with good people is very true. But I think we should also add and let them do their jobs. I put uh, all the credit to any success I've had on the shoulders of those who've worked with me and for me. But to the question, there's three individuals, really, and I won't go into great detail on all three, but three that I believe influenced not just me, but the development of the Canadian Reserves in general. Uh, Major General Reg Lewis was one that I got to know as a young officer developing. I liked his style. I, I I liked his vision of the Canadian Forces. As a CEO, it was probably Brigadier General Des Delorier. Uh, Des, I think, gave me a, a command style that I took into a brigade command. Uh, and last was uh, Brigadier General Gary O'Brien, who I worked with in the latter years of my service. All of them exceptional leaders with their own unique styles. But I believe Gary O'Brien was the biggest character, if I can use that term. And you know Gary O'Brien. He loved to challenge you. Mm, yep. He loved to throw out a contentious idea to generate discussion and to get people thinking outside the box. And then he'd basically mop up the blood off the table and find the solution that lay within. Uh, so I believe that Gary O'Brien, out of all of them, played and had the opportunity to play uh, the most uh, significant role in the development uh, and transformation of the Canadian Army Reserve into the what I like to believe is a, a very professional and highly respected organization today. What I remember about General O'Brien is that he had this throwaway line that he would use if people were talking about units and unit lines and things of that nature. He'd just throw in something like, oh, well, don't worry, you'll all be wearing the same cap badge soon enough. Yes. That would just set people off. Yep. And then the whole bickering would just go off into a whole new direction, and he'd just sit back, cross his arms, and watch the chaos. And he had a cunning plan, and he he, would, he knew exactly where he wanted you to go, And uh, but he had a unique way of getting you there. I enjoyed my time with Gary, although there was times I wanted to strangle him, and I'd, I'd say that to him, but uh, I, I, I really respected him. And you, sir, you've been able to follow some of the steps that General Lewis had taken himself. Yes, uh, Reg Lewis was, was my my honorary colonel as I, in my service in the Royal Regiment of Canada for, for many years, and a mentor as well. I had the good fortune of uh, his mentorship, and we used to meet for uh, breakfast uh, at a little restaurant he enjoyed and just sit down and uh, shoot the breeze, as my father would say. And eventually we got around to the, uh, to the, the military item that needed discussion. But it wasn't always military. It was, I'd like to think of him as a, as a good friend as well. I'm very, uh, very fond of uh, Reg Lewis. Sir, we've reached the last question of the podcast. What is the greatest challenge you've had to overcome? Um, physically, it was probably my parachute course because uh, I'm not very fond of heights. But I, 
I would never pass down a challenge or an opportunity, and so I, I took the course. I'm pleased to say I passed. Mentally, it was a challenge of balancing my family's needs with my policing career and reserve service. And I, I think I speak for all reservists when I say it was never an easy process, and one I probably didn't do very well at. I know that uh, while we, as the Canadian Forces, promoted the ideology of family first, as individuals and as an organization, we probably demanded and expected far too much of ourselves and our members. Demands that often meant we would spend significant time away from home and at times our employment. And we always say it, and I've always tried to mention it, that without our families, we wouldn't be an organization. We wouldn't be able to function. We need that support when we're away and even when we're at home. So it's the old saying of families first is true, but it's very difficult to follow. And even as a senior officer, when I worked at at LFDTS, it was a challenge to control our appetite for increased capabilities and then the subsequent corresponding training requirements that would go with that. And the more and more, obviously, we wanted to increase our training, the more that impacted on the quality of life for reservists. So the biggest challenge that I experienced was personally balancing the needs of my family and my career with the needs of serving as a reservist. And I think that's consistent for all individuals, although we might not want to uh, admit it. And unfortunately, not to end on a bad note, but we didn't always do a good job of it. And I think that's why it's so important that we recognize our families, the uh, unsung heroes of really what we do as a reserve community. They are owed a great deal of respect for the the time we spent away and the events that we missed. And I I hope that my family, uh, I think they understand the drive that I experienced and uh, the the love of the military that I had, and they understand why I was away so often. Sir, are there any projects or initiatives that you're working on right now? I'm enjoying uh, retirement right now. I'm looking forward to getting, uh, and I'm starting to explore opportunities to continue to support my regiment, the Royal Regiment of Canada, but uh, military, the, the larger holistic approach, no, I'm I'm just enjoying retirement and focusing on the hobbies that I, uh, that I like, such as uh, drawing. I do. I enjoy home renos. So it's a nice change from the, the busy world that uh, you are still experiencing. You're absolutely right, sir. Is there anything you'd like to say just to wrap up? No, I think uh, I think we've covered it, Mike. Uh, it's not always easy uh, speaking about yourself. I'd rather look at it in the bigger context that uh, it really is all about the team. Anything that I accomplished over the years of my service really was because of the team that I worked within. So no, there's nothing else that I can add at this time. Well, sir, thank you very much for taking the time to be a guest on the show, and I hope that we can meet again at some event hosted by the Royal Regiment of Canada. Thank you, Mike, and uh, I do commend you on what you're doing. It's a great idea. And uh, it's important, especially for our older veterans, that their experiences are captured now while we have the opportunity. So thank you. You're very welcome, sir. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at MikeLacroixCMHP at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. 
While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.CanadianMilitaryHistoryPodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. End tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.